Welcome to Balls and Brew, a podcast about beer and sports with your hosts, Johnny and Kevin. The mics are on. The glasses are full. It's time for Balls and Brew. In this episode of Balls and Brew, we sat down with Tito Bonacci, who is a producer of 560 WQAM in Miami, uh, as well as the Five Rings podcast. Uh, Tito is a knower of all things you. Um, he uh, previously, this is how we know, this is where we know him from. He was with, he was a writer and producer with Bulls 24-7 because he was a, a knower of all things USF. So we sat down with him and talked about South Florida football uh, in regards to, rec- uh, as the University of South Florida, uh, in regards to recruits because uh, he's a, he's a big time uh, recruiting beat writer um, as just a, a wealth of knowledge in regards to that, uh, as well as USF's uh, pro- outlook for the upcoming season. Um, since he's down in Miami, we took the time to also talk to him about the U, talk about Miami's outlook look for the upcoming season, the excitement about the top 10, 10 pick, um, the, the, where, we, where Malik Rozier is at this season, as well as turnover Chashkis, like the turnover chain. Uh, so sit back, relax, and enjoy. Cheers. Hello. Tito Banak, how you doing, buddy? Pleasure to hear from you guys. How you guys doing? Are we doing well? Oh, doing excellent, excellent. Here, yeah. another episode of Balls and Brew. We're talking today to the man behind the curtain, the Miami Sports Radio 560 WQAM, as well as the Five Rings podcast, I nice. call him. Captain Crystal Ball, and I think he's still an AAC insider. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Tito yeah. Benash. I uh, the expert, man, the man, the myth. Not myth, though. Hey, what's going on, Tito? Not much. Uh, enjoying life, itching for football, man. It's itching for football. That this preseason doesn't do it for me. You know, <laughs> tell so. me about it. Oh uh, yeah, you mean being you know watching practice you know in freaking ninety-five degree heat doesn't really get you going? <laughs> like, ah, uh, no, 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 no. I, I can tell you one thing: if if there's anything I'd give back for right now, it'd be to some of the Tampa weather. I would much prefer that than what I'm in right now, that's for sure. People complaining about the weather wanting to come to Tampa so they can cool off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, I'm just not sure. Are, we, are you on Mercury? Where are you? <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, I, mean, I, really sound a little, I sound a little loopy. I sound it's a little, a little loopy. loopy. Right. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I got gotcha. you. Well, we, we just want to get right into it, bud. Yeah, let's do uh, it. Let's, let's, talk, let's talk about some USF recruiting, bud. Scale of 1 to 10, tell me right now. What is the state of recruiting at USF? It's a what? If I had to say it, I'd probably say it's an eight, and then and, okay. I, and I feel like that's that's a good margin to set it at. Um, I think the biggest thing Carly Strong has emphasized since he got to USF was uh, building back up the recruiting base in the local area of Tampa, obviously, as well as Miami, and he's actually created a little bit of a, I want to say a little bit of a pipeline, I don't want to jump my words here, but a little bit of a pipeline in Georgia, uh, mm-hmm. I think that okay. there's been a number of prospects coming out of that state, uh, guys like Antonio Greer, uh, I know the, the QB recruit that they landed in the previous class, Octavius Battle, came yep. from there, and then uh, they've got a couple more recruits uh, that they're working on in this class coming out of there as well, so... Uh, it seems like that's where Strong and the rest of the staff are really focusing their efforts. Um, and for right now, it seems to be paying off. I mean, if you if you think about it, obviously Florida, in my opinion, the best state for 
recruits bar none, and then Georgia not far behind either. So I feel like if if you're if you're judging Charlie Strong on what he's brought in thus far, uh, it's an impressive class, and the class he has right now uh, currently ranks number three in the AAC according to two four seven Sports Rankings. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, it, it's got all the needs and. And like I said, defensively, it's it's been massively impressive. Well, you're just hitting all you these know. notes that I already had lays out here ready to go. Like the very next yeah. note I had was talking about some big gets like Malcolm Ray, Daquan Evans, Darius Williams are showing the staff's emphasis on making recruiting defense a priority. Do you think there's right. a growing I'm, talent gap right now between USF and the other G5 competition in terms of defense? Oh well, I, I think when he when he came into the program, that was his main priority. He do. Uh, what this what it's ironic because it, it seemed like when he arrived, people were so concerned about the offense taking a step back. But Strong's main priority was always improving the defense. It's been his specialty, yeah. and I, I feel like the recruits he's bringing in specifically from the Sunshine State, the Tampa Orlando area, uh, he's found a way to maintain that Miami connection, which is is so so important. I mean, some of USF's best players came out of that, that city uh, and they're continuing to land guys like you mentioned, Darius Williams uh, you, they're continuing to work on other guys down here, Malcolm Ray out of Terrell City was the most recent addition and he's a huge get for this team so I think in terms of you know what USF, the benefit for USF is that they are in the greatest uh, talent pool to pick from and, the, yeah, and exactly. also it's while while you know the other state the other school state schools like Florida, Florida State, Miami may work here as well, there's such a plethora of talent that you know they can pick off uh, some of these kids that may not get the looks from the big three, and those kids are still power five talent or or even you know talent that could play in the NFL. Quentin Flowers is the epitome of that. I mean, he was a kid that you know schools wanted. But nobody wanted to give him a chance at quarterback, and USF was the benefit of the fact that he came to the university, and you can basically say it was the best player in program history. The so same reason why they got BJ Daniels. Like, it was the same thing. Is right. That we're going to let you play quarterback, and everybody else wants you as a DB. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Right. Yeah. So I mean, Strong has done just an incredible job, and and his staff as well. They've just done such an incredible job, and, and like I always say, this USF is always going to have. Uh, right at the top of the conference in terms of talent level, it's never it's never going to go away from that. They, there's just too much talent in this state for ever for them to ever get away from that. So uh, it's it's definitely something that's impressive to see. Per capita talent within the state of Florida, because Florida's nowhere near the size mass say of Texas. I agree. I think per capita Florida or maybe as talent as talent rich as possible. Yeah. Uh, and you mentioned what uh, Charlie's already done. I mean. We had a, a insane defensive line class in 2018. Uh, seven D linemen. Uh, you're talking like Stacy Kirby, Dwayne Boyles, uh, Lang, Yates, uh, John Waller, uh, Devin Leacock, Barber. Like this, this is insane defensive line class. Mm-hmm. Out of that seven, how many think you're going to get up getting a red shirt? Do you think you think any one of these guys is going to play as a true fresh? Yeah, I mean, if I had to put a round number on it, I would want to say at least maybe three, four. Now, something to consider, though, and I think that people aren't really talking about this enough, is how the NCAA changed the redshirt rules. Now, mm-hmm. freshmen can play up to four games oh, and then yes. be redshirted, Correct. which right. is a tremendous boost for every program across the country. You know, now coaches can throw guys into games 
get them wealthy experience, and then midway through the season, actually make a decision. Whereas prior to that, it used to be, you know, you kind of had to pick them out before the season started. Like this guy's probably going to be a red shirt. This guy's probably going to mm-hmm. be a red shirt. Yeah. You know, they get some burn in the first two games, right. and that's it. But now, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see, you know, maybe five, six of those guys, you know, see the field in the first six games for USF. Mm-hmm. I think USF's schedule kind of works out that way perfectly, where a lot of these freshmen are going to get reps, which is fantastic. So, uh, in terms of real contribution, I think guys like Dwayne Boyles, uh, Sean Yates, uh, it, it'd be interesting if Trey Lane can kind of get into the rotation a little bit. I think those guys will try to find their way into the pass rushing group. Uh, outside of that, I think, you know, maybe John Waller's also going to try to get into the defensive tackle rotation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I think they're going to see a good amount of these freshmen D linemen play. You know, one thing about Charlie that's always been a constant is he likes to have fresh bodies on the defensive it, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how often he rotates and how often he'll get these young guys to play. Well, there's yeah. certainly a wealth of talent that he could put on the field. And in terms of the new rule that you mentioned, where was that rule in 2015? I, th- yeah, I think I remember right, a game right. in, a, right, at yeah. SMU in right. Dallas that I'd love to have that rule then. Yeah, <laughs> or no kidding. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's- Game-changing in that way. So. Well, you also talked but, about uh, what's currently happening in this class, uh, and I'll tell you something that I'm seeing here with Charlie that I'd never seen. That I think I don't think I've ever seen this at USF. With now, with a guy like Jaquez Evans potentially uh, c- could be signing, say here maybe in December, keeping that Atlanta Georgia pipeline for dual-threat quarterbacks. Even if Jaquez was redshirted in 2019. Your 2020 QB competition is going to be Octavius Battle, Jordan McLeod, Chris Aldo-Kun, if he's still here, and Evans. I mean, yeah. th- th- that's insane. Yeah, yeah, that's it's quite a quarterback class and, and quite a level of talent. And, yeah, no, it, there's never been – I mean, even now, even today, you see three guys that, that could be the guy mm-hmm. this year, you know. And, and I mean, it, and it's never been that way. Most of the time it's like well, just one guy, you know, it's almost by default. Yeah. So yeah. So. Well, Tito, do you tell us, man, Captain Crystal Ball, who's going to be under center week one? So, if you had asked me this, I want to say, if you had asked me this about three months ago, I would have told you Crystal Ball. Ah, gosh, I can't say it. Uh, Oladukin. Chris Oladukin. Right. I'm I'm Spanish, so I'm supposed to know how to pronounce (laughs) it. But but, if if I'm being honest now. I, I think Blake Barnett has really come and yeah. he's given the staff a solid impression to the point where I think it's going to be really hard for the staff to say no to him. You know, there was, there, it, it's, it's not too, too obvious to suggest that they didn't bring him in here just to be a backup. So I think that, you know, from what it, we've seen so far through training camp and what a lot of the fall camp people have been recording, it seems like the staff has given him every indication that they want him to try to win now if it was uh, a contender to him what I understood it seems like it's Brett Keane as well and I know that there was a little bit of confusion uh, regarding Brett Keane's academic status but for whatever reason that got cleared up finally and he's good to go but if I had to give the nod right now to somebody I think it's Blake Barnett although I wouldn't rule out seeing all three QBs at some point during the first three things I think if Strong wants to do it his way you would like to see all the three QBs play at some point in the first three games, but I, I think if, if I had to if I had to bet some money on it, I, I'll, I'll put money on Barnett. 
Do you think it's yeah. a safe seven that Barnett has raised the floor for quarterback play right now in Sterling's offense? Uh, I I think in, to a degree, yes. I think that what Barnett brings is he is a, you know, he's a solid pro offense type of spread offense type of quarterback, uh, you know, natural thrower, uh, and and frankly, uh, someone who I think that just for whatever reason may just be strong in Gilbert's guy. You know, I we said this when I think we, I said this last year, but it wouldn't it wouldn't have surprised me. To see, you know, either Oladukin or maybe USF to seek out a grad transfer because, for the, just the reason being is that neither Keen nor Oladukin had a start, and it's it's not crazy to go out and see somebody maybe has some experience. Now the difference being is that Barnett doesn't have a lot of experience in reality. He has, uh, I think, maybe less than a couple games under his belt. To be quite honest, yeah. I think. His talent, his talent ability is something that should be considered. Uh, a lot of experts seem to believe that he's going to be really one of the best QBs in the conference. So I feel like he's going to be the guy that USF kind of wants to roll with. And they feel like he fits the offense perfectly. And at the end of the day, I, I find it hard to believe anybody else is going to be upset in the offense as well. You think it the talent? I'm sorry. Go ahead, Johnny. Yeah, do you think it's fair to say that he gives them the best chance to succeed this season? Um, all these quarterbacks have a great deal of talent. Um, you know, uh, Key you know, has more, uh, you know, one shade more experience with the offense. Um, neither one of these guys are, are very experienced in, um, in the offense per se. Do you think he gives you the best? Do you think Barnett gives you the best chance? Um, I, it's it's hard to tell, honestly. I think it's hard to tell just because, like I said, we haven't really seen any of these guys with a season-long production level. And for that reason, I, I think that's why the staff just wants to lean with the guy who technically has the most experience. Now, does Barnett provide the most for this team? From a passing standpoint, probably, yeah. From what it seems like is that he's mobile enough to be uh, a guy who can extend the play with his legs, not in the, in the way that Flowers did, obviously, but in the way that if he needs to use his legs, he can. But he also has the, the arm where he can he can you know beat a defense over the top, as well as hit the under throws. And I think that's where they feel like they can trust him the most to execute the offense that Sterling Gilbert wants. Yep. Well, I, so you know, okay, so we know you know, we're looking for you know we're looking for the guy behind center. Um, but in terms of who that guy would throw it to, he's got he's got a number of options. Oh yeah, um, some right. good ones, some real good know. ones. And, but you know, number of options. And I think I noticed that and we've talked about this before on previous uh, podcasts. The one thing that that, you, that at least the rest of the country at large doesn't know is who is going to be that guy who you, you know when you talk about USF at the at the start of the broadcast. It's going to be the guy you're going to talk about. Obviously, it's been Quentin Flowers for a number of years. Marlon Max played that role a little bit in terms of that that guy that we talk about. Uh, you know, who you know, we on this podcast think that guy's going to be Tyree McCants. Um, is there? I mean, is that something that you you would consider agree with, or is there another guy that that by the, by the season's end we're, we're all going to be talking about? Yeah, I, I agree. I think Tyree McCants is probably the most notable name. Or him or Darnell Solomon, obviously. Mm-hmm are, you know, the two most veteran returning members to that offense. 
Uh, they're, they're the ones that can provide the most production as well. Uh, I think, you know, the coaching staff is expecting big years from both of them, quite honestly. Uh, both McCants and Salomon are guys that, you know, while they have, you know, a lot of talent, for whatever reason, the production level hasn't really uh, indicated that. And whether that be, you know, the fact that Flowers is, you know, rushing for a lot of touchdowns and being the, the main ace in terms of production, whether it be the fact that, you know, there was our rushing game last year, the USS rushing game was really impressive as well. I think that they're looking towards the receiving group to be some of the leaders in the offense and to provide some stability. Now, another name that I think can really uh, become a, a stable and, and be the cowbell of the USF offense is Jordan Cronkite. You know, I know he transferred in uh, previously from the University of Florida. The staff is bullish on him. They feel that Cronkite can rush for a thousand yards and also provide some over in some some ability in the passing game. They feel like they can split him out wide. They feel like they can use him on running back screens. I know that in the previous scrimmage he broke a sixty yard screen for a touchdown. Mm-hmm. So yeah. they're fully expecting Cronkite to be one of the playmakers in this offense. I think Cronkite's out to prove himself as well. You know, he feels like, uh, you know, he had a year off. He wanted to help out this running back core. The, the coaches said that he was ready to help out the running back core, and now it's, it's his show to run. So I think Jordan Cronkite's also a name that uh, USF fans should be aware of. Well, well, I mean, it makes sense when you're talking about uh, five-star originally, uh, Blake Barnett, and now you're talking about, was Jordan a four-star originally at UF? Yeah, yeah. So you're, yeah, you're talking about some high-level talent guys. Yeah, I mean, yeah. these guys had very high skill ratings coming in when they were when they were signing their letters in the tent. Uh, that's not surprising at all that these guys are going to come in, and I think the cream is going to rise to the top. I think the team is deep, talented. I think – is there anything that concerns you? I think for me it's just a matter of can we see some really good offensive line play in, say, the first month of the season? Uh. I think offensive line-wise, I, I think that's always something that, you know, when you when you replace certain members of a unit, there is cause for concern. However, from what I've understood, that unit has, uh, I guess, over-exceeded expectations in the spring and the fall. So the coaches don't seem to be worried about that. I think, it, it, for me, it's, it's establishing a rhythm on offense and finding an identity on offense. So there was time last year with CSS offense that, and I think even some players and, and other actually may agree with this, which is that USF offense last year didn't feel like it had a, and had a natural identity. It felt like at times it was trying to be power heavy, mm-hmm. and then at times yeah. it was trying to be spread offense, and then it was trying to be air raid. And, you know, it, it's interesting that Sterling Gilbert comes from a Baylor offense, which is, you know, natural passing, heavy passing. And from what I've understood this year is that they want to increase how much they pass. They want to be a little bit more pass heavy but also be able to run the football like they did last season. Do you think some of that now, is they're more confident now with a quarterback who's probably a little more accurate in the pocket and a little more pocket-centric? Yeah, that, I think that's what they're banking on. I think, you know, obviously Quentin Flowers is a tremendous player. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there was some, some growing pains and struggled to adapt to his ability and what he could yeah. do. However, this, this coaching staff feels like, you know, Barnett is a guy that can really – fit their offense to a T and execute the offense where it can be you know, over the top, making the throws uh, all over the field and, and really rely on his arm, whereas last year it kind of felt like there was a little bit of tug and war between what they really wanted to do with that offense. Yeah. I think it's interesting, uh, you know, you have three guys in QB that, that all have ability. 
Barnett's probably is the highest rated out there. I, I, I almost get a sense that they, they kind of need Barnett to step up and be the guy. Like, his ceiling's higher. And they need him to be the guy. Like, that they say they can't win 9 to 10 games with, with Keane or, Ola, or, or Oladukin. But they, but I feel like with Barnett, there's more potential. If he, if that five-star guy or the guy who won the job at Alabama, you know, initially over, over um, the guy who's struggling now. I can't remember his name. But, uh, Jalen Hurts. Uh, Jalen Hurts, yes. Yeah. Over Jalen Hurts, the guy who initially beat Jalen Hurts out for the job. Well, that's probably what they're thinking because they're thinking, hey, we're, our goal is not just to win the AAC. We want to win the AAC. We want to win a New Year's Six Bowl. We're going to be playing probably either some two two or three lost SEC team or something like that. If we get to that point, yeah, yeah. You, you need that guy who's capable. Yeah, who, who, has, who has the ceiling, who has the right. stuff in him. And so I, I feel like, you know, he may not win this job, but I, I feel like they kind of want him to to win it. You know, you don't want to just give it to him, but you want him to win it. So, um. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think you know Barnett. The, the one thing about Barnett that I think a lot of people are anxious to see is that you know it's been a lot of smoke and shadows for him. He's never really been able to put it together at whatever school he's been at. And it, like you mentioned, he was the outright winner. Uh, coming out of, out of out of Alabama before Jalen Hurts took that job. So I think, you know, people are expecting Barnett to really put it together in this offense. They're feeling that, you know, this is an, uh, this is an area where he can succeed. You know, he's coming to a, to a program where he's got all the weapons around him. He's got one of the best schools in the conference. This is an area where he can come in, just do his job, lead his team as far as he can, possibly do a conference championship, like you said, a New Year's Six Bowl, and then he can kind of just you know, coast off of that, and right I feel like that. it's it's just a matter of just execution on his part. You know, whether whether if if Barnett isn't the answer, you know, then I think USF kind of made a mistake bringing him in. They want him to be the answer. They want him to be the guy who gets them to the level that they want to be at. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So that said, do you have a, a prediction? For, uh, for USF. What's the outlook of USF in 2018? Yeah, show us behind. Captain show Crystal Ball. Yes, yes, please. Captain Crystal. Right. <laughs> um, I, I'll say, I'll, I'll stick with, I, I'd like to say around 10-2 and two or 11-1 and, 11 and one for the regular season. Okay. Um, right. I, I, I say it every year because I, I just think it's true, and I said it last year and it came down to be true, which is that the season will likely come down to the war on I-14. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with with USF and how much they're returning and a year in the system, uh, the, a lot of offensive weapons returning, a lot of the secondary returning, uh, you know, a, a great recruiting class to build on, this should be a team that, once again, competes for the AAC title. No question about it. Uh, it's just a matter of, you know, how quickly can this team mature? How quickly can this team find its groove? Because you go from week one Elon to week two Georgia Tech. And while that doesn't play into the conference, Georgia Tech is going to be a good indication of where this team is as a whole in general. So I feel like it, it'll come down to that game. Uh, I mean, if, if you want me to be honest, I feel like there is a, a regression with UCF. Mm-hmm. How much of that regression, I, I couldn't tell you because, it, you know, they still return, you know, one of the better QBs in the conference, Mackenzie Milton. Uh, but I think for USF, the, the goal is right in front of them. Their goals are set out. Uh, it's just a matter of getting to that last game of the season, winning it, and then playing in the conference championship. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the goal. That's that, the goal every season, obviously. 
Well, we want to change gears here a little bit because we yeah. know uh, you're not just only following USF, obviously. Yeah. So tell us about what's happening uh, down south where apparently it's hotter than mercury. Yeah. And uh, clearly <laughs> you're following what's happening with the Miami Hurricanes. Uh, my goodness, man. The 2018 class looked like is just the typical collection of NFL-level talent at running back, tight end, defense tackle, wide receiver, safety. Uh, what other positions are you guys just killing it on that we probably didn't even mention? Yeah, I, I feel like, you know, one thing Rick has done a great job of here is reestablishing the culture at Miami, getting Miami guys. And what that kind of means is, is you know, there could be a three-star in Miami who isn't getting the looks that, you know, a national guy in, in, you know, Texas or California may be getting. But the fact that he plays down here makes him a lot better than some of those other guys in those other states. The competition level down here is incredible. Uh, and I think one thing that Rick has done a good job of is he's really established Miami's defense again. Credit to Manny Diaz. Uh, you know, it, when you think about all the great Miami Hurricane teams, you know, the 2001 team or the 87 team or the 91 team, any of those teams – they were prided on how amazing their defense was, and Miami's gotten back to that. Uh, I think the benefit for the Hurricanes this season is that they're returning a significant no, significant number of players on that defense. They're returning all three linebackers. Uh, they're getting their defensive tackle in Gerald Willis, who, you know, from all indications, seems like a, a guy who's made a complete transformation and he's ready to legitimately establish himself as an NFL defensive tackle. And then, you know, the, the guy who's the... the Cowbell of the defense, Jaquan Johnson, uh, AP All-American safety, uh, a guy who had six takeaways last year, 96 tackles during the season, uh, you know, one of the turnover chain's most consistent friends. Uh, I feel like UM has the defensive recipe. It's more offensively now than anything. And for, for UM offensively, it, it's, it's a similar situation to USF, if, if coincidentally. It's, you know, the quarterback situation is, you know, they have Malik Rozier, uh, Malik Rozier at one point was 10-0 and last season, and then he kind of tailed off. What people tend to forget about last season was that UM lost three of its best offensive playmakers by the end of the season. They lost running back Mark Walton, who got drafted in the fourth round. They lost their tight end, Chris Herndon, who got drafted in the fourth round. And they lost wide receiver Ramon Richards, who's come back this year. For, for Miami's offense, it's simply a matter of getting it to the athletes in space. That's all it really ever is. Uh, you know, if Rozier can do that, he can execute the offense, and be consistent and make the road, make the throws he's supposed to, then I think UM is is going to be another nine ten win team and should play in the ACC championship once again. Uh, well, in, in the, and then saying that, because I, I I feel like there's obviously a lot of expectations, top ten ranking, first top ten ranking in a while, like it's preseason. Um, uh, you know, schedule's tough, especially down the stretch. What is what unit would you say is the difference between a nine and three season in the playoffs, which would seem to be in, in reach for. The secondary is pretty talented. Yeah, yeah. Like who has to perform? Like who? Like who's got? Who's got to make it happen to keep to, to make this a playoff season? I think for for UM to make the playoff situation, the offense has to be exec- executing at a level where they can give the defense insurance. Now. What does that mean, essentially, right? It's it's a, it's a situation where there was a lot of games last year where UM's defense was kind of ba- their backs against the wall, yeah. and they were kind of in charge of coming up with coming away with takeaways so that the North offense Carolina, can get some Georgia, Georgia, and then yeah. it, you know the situation where 
there was a lot of three and outs, and Miami's defense couldn't really, you know, make a mistake or else the game would be out of hand. Right. And as the season wore on, you started to see those effects. If Miami can give it, Miami's offense can give the defense a 10 point lead, a 14 point lead, I think that's what's going to be the difference between, you know, like you said, a 9 3 season and possibly vying for a playoff, uh, playoff spot. Now, the difference that separates everything, you know, the, I guess the measuring stick is Clemson. Because it's without question that Clemson's, you know, as of ranked, they're the second best team in the country, right next to Alabama. And they returned their entire defensive line. Mm-hmm. They returned most of their offensive weapons. Mm-hmm. Clemson is, is, is juggernaut of juggernauts right there with Alabama. It's a safe bet to say that they're, they're probably going to be in the playoffs. But for Miami, you know, the, the athletes are as good, if not maybe better. It's just like you said, it's a matter of the offense executing and, and being able to get to that, you know, that ACC championship game with an offense that you feel confident in that can execute against a top-notch defense like Clemson. Well, the Atlantic division aside, going just focusing on the coastal, uh, do you who do you see them really competing with? I mean, obviously Virginia Tech's probably still going to be competitive, but if it's not going to be Miami out of the coastal, who could it possibly be this year? Yeah, that and, and that's the thing for Miami. That's the benefit, you know. That and, and I think at a certain point, you, that should be the expectation for Miami. The mm-hmm. coastal shouldn't just be the, an achievement; it should be a standard. Mm-hmm. You know, Miami is head and shoulders above everybody else in that conference. And you mentioned yeah. Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech's roster got depleted yes. this offseason. They lost a lot of players, mm-hmm. and, you know, even Justin Fuente, their head coach, said he didn't even vote for them to be ranked this year, and they were, <laughs> which, which kind of said something about that team. Yeah, you know, yeah. now, it's one thing to say, you, you say that, and then Miami has to go into Virginia Tech and Blacksburg and win that game on a Thursday night. Right. That's a tough That's a tough environment. Yeah, Regardless that's a, that's of circumstance, playing at Blacksburg makes, on a Blacksburg Thursday night is big. always, always a tough environment. Yeah. But for UM, it, it it shouldn't fall short of that. It should it should one thousand percent be that they beat Virginia Tech, and they should be handling the Coastal, you know, every year for for whatever the reason may be. Well, they certainly have access to more talent than um, than the rest of the teams in the in the Coastal. Um, right. You know, and, and obviously you're seeing, starting to see that catch up, you know, in turn, you know, in two of them, start to, you know, to where their their talent starting to come through. Um, you, you're not seeing it quite the same same talent level at, in Atlanta, at Georgia Tech, or Blacksburg, or or even you know even at US, UNC. Um, is there any game that that scares you in terms of Georgia? Like you know, obviously they got the big, you know, October six is you know. You know, big game game down there, and then they got go to Blacksburg uh, November seventeenth. But is there is there a specific game to be like, hey, watch out for that particular game? Well, how about Sneaky next sun- about next Sunday against LSU oh. and they're in their front seven. That's right. And then that, right. yes. Yeah, I, if I had to pick a game, and I and I, would, I I always tend to hesitate because I feel like you know trying to trying to play the schedule game is always difficult at the time. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. if I did have to pick a game, it would be Boston College. Ah. Yes. That because they travel to Boston College, and for whatever reason, Boston College has had that magic the past couple seasons where you know there's a ranked team that entered there. They're not ready, you know. I, and I'm, if I'm correct, they're coming off of a short week. Yeah, it's a Friday when night. When they go to, at yeah, the Boston Friday College game. as well, so I, I think that's a game where you know UM is going to have to be on its toes. Uh, obviously, Boston College, you know, they haven't necessarily been 
world beaters in the, in the ACC for the last couple of seasons. Mm-hmm. But that environment and, and coming off of a short week, it kind of spells out for a trap game. So yeah. I think that's one game where my Miami could slip up outside of the obvious ones, like you mentioned, like Florida State, Virginia Tech, and LSU. Well, yeah, well, Friday night games are always tough. I mean, I believe Clemson yeah, they uh, lost to Syracuse, lost yep. to Syracuse yep. on the road on a Friday night. <laughs> so, right. you know. Um, and Boston College is probably better than that Syracuse team. Probably, um, probably so. Yeah, solid defense. Um, just a good mashing team. And they're up there. You know, it's, it's games up there. Miami's obviously more talented, but I, 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 I think I agree with you. I think I think that's that could be a, a challenge. Because you know their their crowd's gonna be game for it. You know, a lot lot of drunk college students, <laughs> a lot of drunk BC students yelling, screaming at my at Miami at yeah, players. Yeah. So it's Boston, man. It's Boston. Well, I can only imagine. Captain Crystal Ball, we got to put you on the spot again. Your prediction outlook for Miami in 2018. Is this a playoff? Game? <sighs> So I think what happens with Miami is kind of a, a repeat of last year. I kind of see an 11-1 season, 10-2, and two, uh, come up short in the ACC championship, and then they play in the Chick-fil-A Bowl against, uh, you know, uh, an, a, a lower-tier SEC team or a, a similar SEC team or a Big Ten team or possibly uh, what could be is a group of five champion. Right, yeah. So that could be oh, something yeah. interesting to see, but... I kind of see Miami ending up there. I think, you know, Rick, while, you know, the progress is evident, I, I just don't think the depth and the offensive firepower, especially at quarterback, is there yet. You know, I, I think he's established what he needs. The defense is there. This is a year where Miami is returning a lot. So, you know, you figure if, it, if it's going to be a year, it might have to be this year and then, you know, there's a whole recycle on the defense where new players come in. But nonetheless, I feel like, you know, Clemson, man, they're, they're just, their head and shoulders, one of the best teams in the country. And Miami, yeah. they're, they're, on, they're knocking on the doorstep of being there, but they're just not right there yet. How far away do you think they are? <sighs> I, I give them a year. I, I give them one year. I, I think, you know, Rick came in here his first year, won eight games. Uh, and it, it was it was it was such an interesting season because it went four and zero, then four and four, and then five straight wins. And then you know he comes in last season, you know rattles off ten straight wins before falling to you know having that three game losing streak where they lost to Pitt, mm-hmm. uh, Clemson, and then Wisconsin in the Orange Bowl. Mm-hmm. You know now in year three of the system, you know I I feel like we're at a standard now. Now the standards have been set for Miami. They're they're a nine. A ten-win team every year should be vying for the ACC championship, and and you know if they get there, then Miami fans should be satisfied. You know that's all you can really ask for for Coach Rick, especially somebody you know who's had to do a lot of, of, of had to deal with a lot of guys on his roster who just necessarily aren't ready to compete. Now he's got a roster full of guys that are his own of high caliber, mm-hmm. and and when you watch this this 2018 class that just came in. Has a, I think you mentioned it has an, an amazing group of talent. Mm-hmm. You know they had they had the number one tight end in the country mm-hmm. who's gonna who's gonna be starting this year because the tight end in front of him got injured, and that's yeah. only that that could be a blessing in disguise for Miami because for that tight end he's gonna get an amazing amount of experience and he's gonna develop as the season progresses. So I think Miami, like I said, they're on the doorstep of becoming one of the you know the top five maybe top eight programs in the country. 
It's just a matter right now uh, of really matching up with Clemson on a depth level. Clemson's got depth like that almost matches Alabama's level. So I, I feel like you know that's where it currently stands. But if you're a Miami fan, you have to feel good about where you are right oh, now. Golly, for sure. I mean, heck, yeah. you're, you're already taking probably the, the top top level talent that's in South Florida, and we're talking like both both coasts. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then you factor in the you're actually under construction for an IPF. Uh, right. I got it. You know, you got that. Yeah, you got the turnover yeah. chain. I mean, yeah. come on. Yeah, exactly. You, you exactly. could be you could be two and so, ten with a turnover chain and be excited. I know. Well, so, all right. So yeah, about this turnover chain. It, Have you wore it yet? Is it? I mean, exciting, <laughs> corny. You know. I mean, what's what's the vibe on this down there? So, I mean, look. I think in today's area of college football, you know, one thing coaches are consistently trying to do. It's, it's trying to find ways to, A, make the game fun mm-hmm. for kids, and, B, also find ways to, to recruit while not necessarily recruiting. Correct. Yes. You know, it, sure. it's, no, it's not a, a surprise to anyone that kids love that. They absolutely eat that stuff up. Mm-hmm. And you can kind of see that it's kind of caused this uh, chain effect where other programs are trying to do their own mock-up version uh-huh. of a turnover the, chain. I know the, that in the last the year, Willie Tiger yeah, yeah. tried to do his own thing, yeah. and then some other schools. I think Tennessee had like a trash they had like a turnover yeah. turnover to, like turnover trash bag or whatever. Or something yeah, like yeah. I, yeah. I don't, I don't know, but the, the point being is that you know kids love that stuff, and and it it's a reason for them to get invested and and, and pumped up for the game, and it, it provides a motivation for this defense because you know everybody wants that. Everybody wants to see that come out. I remember one one of my friends telling me last year that there was more of a roar the turnover chain when it happened during a game than there was for a touchdown, which is crazy <laughs> to consider because a touchdown is more significant. So yeah. I, I think that it's, it was such a great marketing and, and just great tool for UM uh, to continuously use. And their, their plan, from what I've understood, is to keep it as long as possible. So that's, that's oh, fantastic, and I'm all yeah. for it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, something like that works, you just want to milk it, obviously. And you talked about it perfectly. It's recruiting without having to recruit. Yeah, so, right. Uh, so I, I'll tell you, from yeah. per, as a USF fan who's just wants to get you know USF to get as much talent and stay as possible, yeah. the idea of Miami having an IPF with already having this recruiting tool that's yeah. not that doesn't even require recruiting, I feel like all it's going to do is just continue to create the divide that you're oh, already seeing. It, yeah, it'll make it just make it harder for you, uh, for USF. It just well, it just will. Well, right. <laughs> I, I think for <laughs> USF, you know, the it, it's been stated, you know, and and, and something I I kind of. I've mentioned on Twitter a little bit is that this new USF athletic director I think was mm-hmm. the absolute perfect hire for USF. And while you know USF fans may not want to admit this, uh, the school across the other side, their athletic director is invested, and he is 100% invested in giving that school as much as they possibly can. Mm-hmm. Now, not to say Mark Harlan wasn't that. However, I think Michael Kelly is a guy that. You know, he's going to increase the marketing of USF. He's going to get the brand back to what it used to be. He wants to make USF one of the most notable programs in the in, in, in sports teams in the Tampa area. And that's how you kind of start that. So, you know, once you get people invested like they should be, then you see, you know, massive donations coming into the indoor practice facility and that I know that they want to build. And then from there, you continue to step up and continue to uh, move towards eventually – be coming on par with a lot of these other state programs. 
Yeah. Well, maybe they'll bring like introduce a gold-plated cowboy hat or something just to actually keep uh, right, yeah. get, get the keep the people excited about <laughs> what's happening. Yeah. Well, you get the you, uh, the pub sub turnover chain. That's what that's what that's what they do now for USF. Now that they have a Publix on campus. That's oh. what they need to do. Oh, there uh, you go. Okay. Yes, well, Publix, you if you're listening. Yes. Uh, we appreciate you spending <laughs> the time talking to us. Uh, he's on Twitter, folks, uh, at Tito Banash. Uh, as we mentioned, of course, he's involved with the the Miami Sports Radio 560 WQAM as well as the Five Rings podcast. We call him Captain Crystal Ball. Tito, Absolutely. we appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Uh, Thank you so have much. A, have a great time in Arlington. Uh, obviously, don't you know? Don't worry about sunburn. Apparently, for that that day, <laughs> stay hydrated down <laughs> oh, there. We uh, we appreciate uh, you. We'll talk to you soon. Appreciate it, fellas. You guys have a great time. You too, bud. Have a great one. All right. Thank you.